The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, this is Newt. 2020 is going to be one of the most extraordinary election years of our lifetime. I want to invite you to join my inner circle as we discuss each twist and turn in the presidential race in my members-only Inner Circle Club. You'll receive special flash briefings, online events, and members-only audio reports from me and my team. Here is a special offer for my podcast listeners. Join my Inner Circle today at newtsinnercircle.com slash podcast. And if you sign up for a one- or two-year membership, you'll get 10% off your membership price and a VIP Fast Pass to my live events. Join my inner circle today at newtsinnercircle.com slash podcast. Use the code podcast at checkout. Sign up today at newtsinnercircle.com slash podcast and use the code podcast. Hurry, this offer expires February 14th. this episode of Newt's World, I'm going to talk about what I think is the greatest single miracle to occur for America on Christmas Day. In fact, such an improbable achievement that General Washington would say many years later, anybody who thought that they had achieved this without the hand of divine providence simply did not understand what happened. And what I'm going to talk about is December 25th, 1776, and the following day, December 26th, 1776. The entire revolution hung in the balance. It is conceivable it would have collapsed in that uh, brief period, and the achievement turned everything around. 
So let me paint a little bit of the story for you so you can understand why this had become such a remarkable moment. Washington had been picked to head up the Continental Army because the original forces were all in New England and they were all surrounding Boston. And the Continental Congress knew they needed a Virginian. Virginia was the biggest colony. They needed somebody from the South to unify the effort and to make it a national effort and not just a New England effort. Washington had been at the Continental Congress wearing his uniform as a member of the Virginia militia, the only uniformed person at the Continental Congress. And when he is asked if he'd be willing to go to New England to take over the army, he worries about it. He's not sure he can do it, but that he will serve as a patriot and do it if called upon. You have to understand how really different this was. People who were small farmers and freeholders and in many ways came out of a Puritan background in New England were really different from Virginians. Here's Washington, who probably was the largest landholder in the colonies, who was clearly an aristocrat. He's physically huge for his time. If you're going to play Washington today, you'd probably get an NFL offensive tackle because he was that much bigger than the people around him. And they get used to each other, and they begin to realize this is a serious man. He's a man of great honor. He has enormous courage. And he really knows a lot about leadership. They gradually forced the British to leave Boston. It was a huge victory for them because they had taken over Dorchester Heights and the British recognized that their ships would not survive if the Americans put cannon up on the heights. And they had found a bunch of cannon over in Vermont and were bringing them back across to Boston, literally to drive the British out. So the Royal Navy leaves Boston. It's a great moment. People feel good about themselves. Across all of the colonies, there's this sense of we can stand up to the British. And Washington thinks about where will they go next because he knows they're not done. And he knows that with the Royal Navy, they have enormous mobility. And so he figures out correctly that their next stop will be to go to New York. So Washington marches his army down to New York and decides that they will fight on Long Island. There's a huge problem now. Washington had won a victory in fixed defenses against the British Army because if they were attacking against Americans who were dug in, the Americans could keep reloading and shooting, but they didn't have to worry about standing under combat. Now on Long Island, there's going to be room for the British to maneuver, and the Americans aren't trained enough to fight against an army that can maneuver and an army of professionals. So Washington gets beaten. They ultimately end up in one of the first great miracles of the American Revolution, and that is, as they're about to be crushed by the British, an enormous fog comes in. The Royal Navy is sitting in the East River, prepared to destroy the Americans if they try to retreat from Long Island. But when the fog comes in, the Royal Navy can't see what the Americans are doing. And because they have a group of boatmen from New England, particularly the Marblehead fishermen, they're able to row across all night long, gradually taking most of the army off of Long Island. By the time the fog lifts, about 90% of the army's gotten across, including Washington. 
So what could have been a total disaster merely becomes a defeat. They're then driven north along Manhattan. Remember back then, the actual area that was inhabited was very small and at the tip down around where Wall Street is. The rest of the place was basically farmland. And so the Royal Navy keeps moving up. And one of the things to remember about this is if you are close to the ocean, the British dominate. A British ship of the line, which meant a ship that could stand in the line and fight other big ships, could have up to 144 guns. That's more cannon than the entire American army. And so when you got five or six or seven of these ships together, there was no way any American unit could stand up to them. So they gradually drive Washington north to Washington Heights and then ultimately across the Bronx up to White Plains. In the process, some of Washington's guys come up with the clever idea that they're going to put 3,000 men in a fort, which they're then going to call Fort Washington. Faced with that, the British simply take the fort. 3,000 Americans surrender. It's a double embarrassment because it's named Fort Washington. There's a real sense of despair in the army. They're then chased all the way down across just above New York City, down across the Palisades in New Jersey, across the state of New Jersey, and they finally end up near Philadelphia. Now, they go from an army of about 30,000 regulars who are capable of fighting in early September in New York, and they gradually, between defeat, desertion, and people who had relatively short-time enlistments. People were very contract-oriented. If they signed up for six months, at the end of six months, they had the right to go home. So Washington is watching his army melt away. And he sits down with his generals and basically he's come up with the idea, what if we were to cross the Delaware, surprise the British unit that's in Trenton, which actually was a group of Hessians who were first-class paid soldiers, about 800 of them. And what if we could surprise them and capture them? And that would then send out a signal that the revolution was still alive. For a group of people who've been getting beaten for six months and who are really demoralized after the Declaration of Independence has been signed in July, they went from this great sense of exuberance to a sense of despair. And Washington, who understood, as Napoleon did, that morale is really important. Napoleon once said that morale is to physical power what three is to one, meaning that you get three times as much power out of high morale as you do out of sheer numbers. And Washington understood this. He understood the importance of psychology. And so several weeks before Christmas, he had turned to Thomas Paine, who was the great pamphleteer, English, a radical, had written common sense, which was widely read across all of the colonies. He had turned to Paine, who was serving as a rifleman, and said, look, I don't need you carrying a gun. I need you writing. This is not working. It's not happening the way we thought it would. So you've got to explain to us where we are and what it means. So Paine goes to Philadelphia, ahead of the army, sits down and writes an extraordinary pamphlet called The Crisis, which begins, These are the times that try men's souls. And he says, basically, you know, the summer patriots will go home, but those who have courage, those who understand that to tear freedom away from the devil means taking on hell itself. You get to decide, are you a summer soldier or are you somebody who's prepared to stand up and do what is necessary for America and for freedom? Well, it's a remarkable publication, and it's just barely coming out 
on the 25th of December. So Washington actually gets copies from the printer. And when they decide to cross the river, he has the officers reading the opening chapters of the crisis to the men to remind them that this is a moral cause. This is about patriotism. They represent freedom and that they have to be prepared to die for freedom. So Washington has a clear sense of the importance of psychology and the importance of leadership. And here's the proposition he makes to his generals. We have to have a victory. Shortly after the first of the year, the majority of the men who are still left, and they were down, by the way, from 30,000 to 2,500, less than 10% of the size of the force that they'd had back at uh, Long Island is left. There are also people who are sick and invalided. Over half of them were going to have their contracts come up in January. And if they go home, we won't have a big enough army to fight. So we have to gamble. We have to decide this is the moment that we're going to lay it all on the line. And either freedom's going to win or freedom's going to lose. But we're going to do everything we can and we're going to risk our lives. Well, his generals, who are normal, rational people, all thought this was crazy. To cross the Delaware at night, to march in the middle of winter, to try to surprise the Hessian troops, to end up potentially with 800 first-rate professional soldiers in the field, defeating the American army, which would then be trapped on the New Jersey side of the river and would be subject to being totally destroyed. And so they all made their arguments, and Washington basically said, look, if the army collapses, the British will have won, the revolution will be over. When the British win, they're going to hang every one of us in this room, because we're the leaders of the revolution. So you have nothing to risk. I mean, the worst case is you're going to die fighting. The best case is you're going to win. But if you don't risk dying, if you don't risk winning you are going to be hung. So since you have nothing to lose, why not take the gamble? And Washington's very calm courage is a key part of this. And I think goes back all the way back to Braddock's expedition when Washington was an American advisor to the British General Braddock. And they were ambushed by the French and the Indians. And Braddock was killed very early in the fight. And Washington ended up out of necessity, taking over, reorganizing the army, getting it back out of the ambush, saving it from being totally destroyed. Washington, remember, is is this huge guy physically, and he was on big horses because you had to have a big horse because little horses couldn't have carried him. He has two horses shot out from under him. He has four bullet holes in his coat. Ten years later, he runs into an Indian chief at, at a powwow, and the chief says, you know, There must be some greater purpose to your life because all of us were shooting at you. He said, I personally shot at you 13 times and I couldn't hit you. So part of what Washington's generals are dealing with is a man who does believe that he's a man of destiny and who does believe that taking really big gambles is okay. That is, in fact, how you change history. Coming up, General George Washington was determined to cross the Delaware. But would he have the support of his men on this cold winter night? Hi, this is Newt Gingrich. After I served as Speaker of the House, I opened my own business, Gingrich 360. As a business owner, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. That is what NetSuite by Oracle has set out to solve. 
because most companies don't have a clear picture of their finances, and that is why many businesses fail. Question for any business owner out there is, are you confident that you've got the right numbers at your fingertips? Serious entrepreneurs and finance teams run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite offers a full picture of all your finances, all in one place, in real time, right from your phone or your desktop. No more guessing. No more worry the way you don't know could kill your company. That's why NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the S&P 500, and you can too. Schedule your free demo right now and receive their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com newt. Set up your free demo and get your free guide today at netsuite.com newt. That's netsuite.com newt. You had a real feeling about where they were at on December the 25th in a diary entry from an officer on Washington staff who wrote, quote, Christmas morning. They make a great deal of Christmas in Germany, and no doubt the Hessians will drink a great deal of beer and have a dance tonight. They'll be sleepy tomorrow morning. Washington will set the tune for them about daybreak. The rations are cooked. New flints and ammunition have been distributed. Colonel Glover's fishermen from Marblehead, Massachusetts, are to manage the boats just as they did in the retreat from Long Island. So here you are at the beginning of the day, leaning forward, preparing, and getting ready for this great adventure and this great gamble. Remember, this is the middle of the winter. There's actually a huge snowstorm coming. There's ice flows in the river. It's very daunting to be doing this. Remember that of the 2,500 who are left, about a third of them did not have shoes. They were marching in burlap bags. If you're not a farm boy who's been running around barefoot for your entire life, your feet just get cut up and you bleed. Here's this army crossing at night in a snowstorm, and the conditions are terrible. They're crossing over, and they carry with them the fate of the United States. If they had lost that night, the odds are even money that we would not have become a country. Washington would have been totally discredited after I now had six months of defeat, and this final defeat might well have led them to get rid of him if he had not been killed in the fight. And Washington had a very ferocious temper when he was fighting, so the odds are pretty good he would have risked being killed trying to achieve victory. So now they turn, and they're running late getting across, as often happens. Washington wanted three different columns to cross, the other two didn't make it at all. So there's only one column getting across. It's Washington's. They only have a handful of cannon. But they also discover a couple of really frightening things. There are more ravines between where they crossed and Trenton than they thought there were. So when you have a ravine with this kind of army, you have to remember this is a ravine in midwinter in a snowstorm with probably ice on the little creek at the bottom of the ravine. So you've got to take your cannon down one side, across the creek, pull it back up the other side, and all this is taking a lot more time than they expected. Finally, Washington runs into a small group of American soldiers from Virginia who are out on their own and who had actually shot up Trenton from a distance. They just stayed out in the woods and fired their rifles. And Washington was furious. He said, you have probably destroyed this whole expedition. 
The Hessians are now going to be alert. We're going to be running into people who are prepared to fight us. We've lost the element of surprise. Well, it turned out he was exactly wrong. There were two things happening that were amazing. The first was the snowstorm. It was an enormous midwinter storm coming from the north, which meant it was coming from their back, but it was coming into the face of the Hessians. Now, the Hessians are all European, and so the Hessian attitude is nobody's going to be out in a storm like this. So they all went into these nice warm houses, not because they were drunk, which was sort of an anti-American canard that some of the progressive historians put about because they wanted to minimize this achievement and they wanted to pretend, well, these guys were all drunk and it wasn't really a big deal. It's not true. The Hessians were fully professional. They were fully prepared to fight, but they also had a ground rule. They're Europeans. No European army would fight in the middle of a snowstorm. It made no sense. And what they didn't realize is the army they were up against were all deer hunters. These were all people who had been able to keep a living in part by going out and finding deer in the middle of the winter and killing them for meat. And so most of the Americans just thought this was just normal. They didn't think this was something terrible. Now, they were cold, they were miserable, but they were used to being cold and miserable. So the Hessians are, one, staying inside the house. Second, when the Virginians shoot up the place briefly and then run, the Hessians all go to get their weapons out. They all go to stand to. They're all out there getting chilled. And they realize, oh, that was just probably a bunch of guys running by, not a serious force. This is not something we have to worry about. Let's go back to bed. So in a funny way, the Virginians, without meaning to, had actually triggered for the Hessians totally false information. And so the Hessians went back to sleep. General Washington's soldiers survived the crossing of the Delaware. They survived the cold night. Next, can they face the Hessian soldiers at Trenton? We're very fortunate to have a number of entries from a diary that was kept by an officer on Washington's staff. On Christmas at 6 p.m., staff officer wrote, quote, The regiments have had their evening parade, but instead of returning to their quarters or marching toward the ferry, it is fearfully cold and raw and a snowstorm setting in. The wind is northeast and beats in the faces of the men. It'll be a terrible night for the soldiers who have no shoes. Some of them have tied old rags around their feet. Others are barefoot, but I have not heard a man complain. They are ready to suffer any hardship and die rather than give up their liberty. I've just copied the order for marching. Both divisions are to go from the ferry to Bear Tavern, two miles away. They will separate there. Washington will accompany Green's division with a part of the artillery down the Pennington Road. Sullivan and the rest of the artillery will take the River Road. A man came with a message from General Sullivan that the storm was wetting the muskets and rendering them unfit for service. Tell General Sullivan, said Washington, to use the bayonet. I am resolved to take Trenton. It was broad daylight when we came to a house where a man was chopping wood. He was very much surprised when he saw us. Can you tell us where the Hessian picket is, Washington asked. The man hesitated, but I said... He would not be frightened. It is General Washington who asked the question. His face brightened, and he pointed toward the house of Mr. Howell. It was just 8 o'clock. 
Looking down the road, I saw a Hessian running out from the house. He yelled in Dutch and swung his arms. Three or four others came out with their guns. Two of them fired at us, but the bullets whistled over our heads. Some of General Stevens' men rushed forward and captured two. The others took to their heels, running towards Mr. Calhoun's house where the picket guard was stationed. About 20 men under Captain Alter Brockham. They came running out of the house. The captain flourished his sword and tried to form his men. Some of them fired at us, others ran toward the village. The next moment we heard drums beat and a bugle sound, and then from the west came the boom of a cannon. General Washington's face lighted up instantly, for he knew that it was one of Sullivan's guns. We could see a great commotion down toward the meeting house, men running here and there, officers swinging their swords, artillerymen harnessing their horses. We saw Rawl come riding up the street from his headquarters. We could hear him shouting in Dutch, My brave soldiers advance. His men were frightened and confused, for our men were firing upon them from fences and houses, and they were falling fast. Instead of advancing, they ran into an apple orchard. The officers tried to rally them, but our men kept advancing and picking off the officers. It was not long before Rawl tumbled from his horse and his soldiers threw down their guns and gave themselves up as prisoners. 800 German mercenaries surrender to Washington's army. Washington loses one man. And then he does something very sensible. He runs like crazy because he knows that not very many miles down the road is the main British army. And if the main British army catches him, they'll destroy him. So he takes the Hessian prisoners, goes back across the river, where he's now safe because the British are not going to cross the river in the middle of the winter. Remember now, this is an army of about 2,500 effectives on Christmas Day, with about a third to half of them having their term expired in the beginning of January. Well, word spreads. Washington just won a great victory. Within a few weeks, there are 13,000 volunteers showing up because people like winning. And all of a sudden, the revolution has been saved. Word goes out across the country. Washington had beaten the British army and had surrendered to him. He reestablished his moral authority. The Americans began to feel like, you know, it may take a while, but we can win this thing. Now, I've always thought this was such a miracle. At every stage, it could have gone wrong. Washington could have lacked the courage to overrule his generals. They could have decided just to sit there and gradually shrink until they were down to five or six or seven hundred, at which point they would have no longer been an army and the revolution would have gradually died. They could have crossed over and had the uh, Hessians surprise them. There were so many things that could have gone wrong and they would have in so many ways either ended the revolution or made it dramatically harder. At a minimum, it would have ended Washington's role. And I do think because of his courage, because of his integrity, because he was the person on whom you could build an entire republic, that the loss of Washington would have been just catastrophic for the future of the United States as a free country. Coming up, in 1851, a German-born painter immortalized the dramatic Christmas night crossing in his classic Washington Crossing the Delaware painting. It has become a symbol of American patriotism.
Because it's so much a part of American history, let me mention a German-born painter, Emanuel Leutz's famous painting. He immortalized the dramatic Christmas night river crossing in classic named Washington Crosses of Delaware. It was done in 1851. It became a symbol of American patriotism and one of the most popular and widely reproduced images of any American historical event. The painting is also famous for its many inaccuracies. The flag is inaccurate. The boats are not large enough. The time of day is wrong. And it is doubtful that Washington could have crossed the river in the standing manner presented. But sometimes, as uh, they said at the end of The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, if you have to choose between the fact and the legend, print the legend. And the legend was the painting. I believe that Christmas Day, 1776, was a miracle, and that it was the most amazing miracle we've had so far in American history on Christmas Day. And I hope you'll think about the courage that these men had, their willingness to risk everything for freedom, their willingness to cross in the middle of a snowstorm for freedom, their willingness to march for miles in the middle of a terrible condition for freedom, their willingness to take on first-class European professional soldiers for freedom. They did this because they believed in the cause. Go read Thomas Paine. Read his commitment, both in the original Common Sense describing the Declaration of Independence and then in the crisis describing the difficult war that we were caught up in, and realize that what Paine's writing is astonishingly idealistic definition of a kind of country in which everyday folks could have a real future. Remember, he's writing at a time when you had British aristocrats and French aristocrats and Russian aristocrats, and he's describing a country which is being born out of the hard work of everyday folks, a country which is built around the concept of freedom and in which people are willing to die for the right to be free. So I would just suggest to you the next time you think about Christmas Day miracles, take a little part of that time. Think about George Washington, the Americans who were around him, and the miracle of winning at Trenton. And as we remember the miracle of Christmas night 1776, please allow me to say Merry Christmas to all. You can read more about George Washington and Christmas night crossing the Delaware, including an excerpt of my novel, To Try Men's Souls, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Westwood One. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our editor is Robert Borowski, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. Our guest booker is Tamara Coleman. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. The music was composed by Joey Salvia. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your comments at newt at newtsworld.com. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. On the next episode of Newt's World, as the year 2019 comes to a close, I've been thinking about and discussing the year ahead, a presidential election year. And while we are focused on the lead-up to the election, I'll be devoting an episode to what other significant issues, five things to watch in 2020, you should keep an eye on. I'm Newt Gingrich, 
This is Newt's World. The Westwood One Podcast Network. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American. Race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network.